Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Are you all ready for the Bible today? Outstanding. I'm going to read Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to pray. Mark 16, 6 says, Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. Can I hear an amen? amen? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And just uh, we're here today, Lord, to honor you and to honor who you are and honor what you've done. And so, Lord, as we come together and uh, worship and honor you, we also want to grow in you and learn. And so today, just grow us through your word. I just thank you for the ability that you have when we come together to speak to every single one right where they are in their lives, even as you speak to all of us. And so, Lord, our hearts are open, and we just want to hear and learn and grow in you. Lord, I pray for the leading and the empowerment of your spirit, God. God, that uh, what happens here today will please you, and that there'll be an impartation of your word and your truth into our hearts. We love you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been doing this series um, called Taking Score, um, or <clears throat> Keeping Score, if you will, the last few weeks, and we've been talking about how, you know, coming up to the cross, things did not look good for Jesus. His friends are abandoning him. Uh, the cross itself did not look like a big win to everyone around, uh, around Jesus, but actually when we're keeping score, the fact that he has paid for all of our sins is a huge win. Amen. And I read the end of the book. It gets really good for us, actually, you know. And so when we're really keeping score, Jesus wins, and he wins convincingly. Last week, we saw the shame and the disgrace that Jesus endured through the, the crucifixion. I mentioned it during our communion time today. And in the midst of all that, Jesus, he, he says, that, or there's this phrase, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. And you and I are that joy. He saw our salvation. He saw our restoration. And it was worth it to him. You are worth it to him. And when I say you, I mean the plural you, but I also mean the singular. You were worth it to him. And you know, right before he gave up his life, he says that phrase, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath. I mean, he did everything that he came to do, and giving up his life was going to be that, that final work. Jesus finished the work that he had sent to, to accomplish. He, he bore our sin. He has paid for our sin. He took our shame, which, you know, so many times people think of the faith as something that we're walking in shame and guilt all the time. And the reality is that's not the gospel at all. It's the good news that you don't have to walk in shame and guilt. Amen? Because he's not trying to shame you and guilt you. He wants to lift it off of your life, not shame you and guilt you. He paid for the shame. He paid for the guilt. He took it on himself. He has finished the work, but the story is not over. Because on Sunday, in Mark 16, verse 1, 
When the Sabbath was over, meaning now it's Sunday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, Jesus, after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed which is very typical when people see angels in the Bible. They're typically alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. It's interesting he says go tell his disciples and Peter because Peter's one of the disciples. It's interesting how specific that... We're going to come back to that. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You know, Jesus explicitly told his disciples that he would raise from the dead. Now, we read these things in in the Bible, and so, so many times we go, oh, you silly disciples, Jesus already told you. But see, we already know the end. So really in the story, we would have been the people that were kind of hearing but not hearing, right? We would have been the folks that, you know, like growing up, like mom and dad told you, and like it's like blah, 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 blah. But then a youth pastor tells you like, you know, I have this new revolution, uh, revelation, right? Like, ah, right? So he told them that he would die. He told them, and after I raised from the dead, I want you to meet me in Galilee. Yet they just didn't have a frame of reference to really understand because this was not a normal activity, right? And so now Mary and Salome and the other Mary uh, would, would share those same words that he has risen and he's gone ahead to meet you in Galilee. And that message specifically would mean something because they would click, oh yeah, he told us he would raise again. Oh yeah, he told us to meet him in Galilee. And so Jesus, over the next 40 days, he would appear to his disciples multiple times. And I think part of the purpose of that was he wanted to make it very, very clear to them that he was indeed risen from the dead, right? The disciples, if you can put yourself in their shoes, they've got a lot to process, a lot to figure out, right? Jesus has died a very torturous death. They really didn't see that coming. And that's pretty traumatic because they've walked with Jesus for three years and they, they love Jesus. And, and so going through the trauma of that was pretty difficult. But now he is risen and it's like, okay, this is a lot to process. Remember, this just has happened over about three days, right? They also had to process like their own relationship with Jesus because at his arrest, it, it says that all of them abandoned him because at some point they were like, we could all get arrested. We could all get in trouble. So they all leave him and abandon him. Can you imagine when you see him again? Like, hi, how are you? Well, how, you know, it'd be an awkward conversation. But for Peter, it was worse. It was worse because Peter denied Jesus when he was asked three times. Someone would come to him and they would say, hey, hey, um, aren't you one of his disciples? And, and Peter would go, nah, it's not me, man, you know? And like the third time, he's like, no, I've never, I've never even known him kind of thing, never even met him, like completely denying that he knows Jesus. 
one of his closest friends, um, is a pretty serious betrayal. And you can imagine if, you know, one of your closest friends, uh, if you got arrested and one of your closest friends, when the officer looks over and goes, you know this guy? No, I don't know. Never met him. Take him away, officer. Like, it's a pretty deep betrayal. And so one of the stories, and the story that we're going to jump into today, has to do with Jesus' interaction with his disciples afterwards and kind of mending these fences and, and bringing everybody back together. And so in John 21, verse 1, it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends! Isn't that an interesting phrase? Friends! Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. It, it seems that Peter has decided to kind of go back to his old life. He's like, I don't know what to do right now and this is all very different. So I, I'm just going to go fishing. And, and, leader, and Peter was really kind of a leader. He's like the guy in the room. He's like, hey, let's, if, we're gonna, if Peter says, let's go play Uno, everybody's going to go play Uno. Like, it's just kind of the way his personality works. They didn't have Uno back then. But um, he, and so Peter says, let's go fish. Like, they're just like, yeah, let's go fishing. Let's go do this, Peter. And here is Jesus standing on the shore saying, friends, giving them a little bit of fishing advice. And um, they received this miraculous catch. And it takes them back to a previous encounter they had had with Jesus where it was throw your net on the other side. And I think once they saw all the fish in the net, they're looking up like, hold on, what's going on here? Hold on, that's not just somebody, that's Jesus. And John tells Jesus or tells uh, Peter, hey, that's Jesus. And Peter, you got to love him. He's still himself. He just like throws off his outer robe, jumps in the water and just like takes off for Jesus. And that, that's just... John's way, or Peter's way, he's just like that. And you'd think that everything was fine. Even looking at the way that, that Peter ran to Jesus, you would just think like, okay, everything's hunky-dory, right? Like they're going to have some fish for breakfast and everything's going fine. But Peter is still uh, tasting the bitterness of his own failure. And Jesus is there and that he's serving them breakfast. And if you will... Peter's in the room, but he's not really present. He's with everyone, but he's not truly present in that he's not all there. He's withholding part of himself. He's, if you will, taking himself out of service. Not that he doesn't love Jesus. It's that he's carrying this weight of, I know what I've done. I know better. I should have been better. I should have done better. And now here I am with, with Jesus. And yes, I'm here. I'm in the room. But his giftings aren't activated. His serving Jesus isn't activated. And Jesus is going to handle that directly. 
Have you ever been at that place where you're physically in the room, but you're not really present? Like you report to a meeting at work, you know, and you're, you're in the meeting, but in your, in your mind, you're like, I don't even want to be in this meeting. Don't worry, your boss probably isn't here. You're there, but you can't really fully give yourself. Maybe you show up to your job and you're no longer present. Maybe, maybe it's with your family. Maybe you're there, but you're not fully present, not fully engaged. Maybe it's in, in church life. You're, you're there, but you're not fully present, not fully given yourself. You know, our failures, our disappointments, um, unmet expectations can lead us to withhold ourselves, where we're there, but we're not really present. And Peter was with Jesus, but he was no longer truly present. He was still carrying the shame. He's still carrying the guilt. He still knows, like, I should have known better. And the thing that makes it so tough is Peter was so vehement about, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you. Like, Peter was so vocal about, his, about what he was going to do. And, and Jesus was looking out for him. Jesus called and he says, listen, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And he kind of goes through that whole process, right? And so here they are having breakfast. And Jesus is now going to dial in on Peter. And you remember back when they, with the tomb, they said, go tell his disciples to meet me in Galilee. And who? Peter. And here they are on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. And who? Peter. John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Now, Simon was Peter's name before Jesus changed it. And it's interesting that he's using Simon, the old name. It's like he's calling him back, right? He's calling him back. Then a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, can you put yourself in Peter's shoes? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Here's Jesus. All the disciple homies are right there. Hey, Peter, they're all having fish. They're like, I'm glad Jesus ain't talking to me. Pass the salt, John. They're all listening in. Third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and, when you were, and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me, which is, it, it's so beautiful because follow me is that phrase that Jesus used with the disciples in the very beginning when they committed their lives to him. Follow me. So here's Jesus saying, do you love me? The opposite of denying someone is declaring your love for them, right? One, two, three times. It's like Jesus is walking back 
each time that he's done. It's like he's digging deep into the, the scar tissue of his heart and the pain that he knows that he's denied Jesus. And every time Jesus gives him this commission, he says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my family. Because see, Jesus does know all things. He knows that Peter loves him. But he also knows that Peter's withdrawn himself and is no longer sees himself as worthy to serve him. Because Peter should know better. Y'all, like, we fail as believers. This is, this is, this is Peter, who's like, one of the main disciples, one of the three closest to Jesus, right? And he has like messed up big. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the messing up big and his restoration. But today, we're focused on just this, this part of this restoration where he has made this mistake. Y'all, if someone knows better, it's Peter. If someone has seen more miracles than you, it's Peter. If someone has less justification for failure, for denying Jesus, from walking away from him, from abandoning him, it is Peter. What kind of standard are you holding yourself to? And are you withholding yourself because you failed your own expectations and probably God's as well? Right? Sometimes I think we treat ourselves harder than God treats us. Can I say that again? Sometimes I think we treat ourselves harder than God treats us. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Sin is what put Jesus on that cross. Our sin matters. Like taking accountability and saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm not going to sleep around. Yeah, Jesus, I'm not going to do these things. Like, yeah, Jesus, I'm going like, to like obey the, the, the kind of normal things. Like I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not, like, like this is kind of common sense. Like I want to follow you. It does matter. But the thing is, is he wants to bear or he has borne all of our sin. Because not because he's trying to shame us and have us walk under that pressure, but because he's trying to bring us into a new life and take us, take that pain and that pressure off our lives. Now, repentance is a lifelong journey. Like, you know, I have a bad attitude or you know, I have a wrong thought or a wrong action or something. Like, like be quick, like repent, like take accountability, turn away from it, run away from it. Amen. But God is not trying to shame you into serving him. He's trying to release the shame. Do you see that with Peter? He's trying to get Peter to say, hey, I want to take that shame and that pain and that stuff that you are carrying because we often will punish ourselves even longer than God will punish us. Again, it's not that sin isn't serious. It's that he's paid for the sin. And sometimes we are our own worst critics when it comes to that stuff. I want to tell you today that failure is not terminal. He pursued us when we were failures. Now, when we're believers and we're following Jesus, we have this kind of expectation of ourselves of, I know better. Amen? And you're right. And yet here is Peter messing up big. See, the thing is, Jesus appeared for 40 days. 
showing himself to his disciples. And he's trying to like get them to snap out of it. Hey, 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 I know what I went through was really rough, but I'm here, here, touch my skin. Like, let's, like here I am, like I'm alive. And he knows that in just a few weeks, they're going to have this amazing prayer meeting where the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and 3,000 people are going to come to believe. And he's going to have those disciples that he has trained and walked with for three years all of a sudden have a megachurch. And they're going to be like, where is Jesus? And they're going to remember that from the book of John, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to remind you. what." But he's trying to get them back in the ring, if you will. Get them back into service. I want to encourage you today, if you have taken yourself out of God's service because of your own view of your worthiness and things like that, I, I don't think you're worse than Peter. I know most of you, and I'm pretty sure you're not worse than Peter. I'm pretty sure if you were worse than Peter, he would love you and forgive you. Sometimes we hold ourselves back from God's service because we don't think we're good enough. We don't think we know enough. We think we've messed up too much. And we hold ourselves back and we put ourselves in a place where it's not that we don't love him. We just don't think we should be able to serve him. I know too much. He knows too. He ain't intimidated by you. He has been working on much harder jokers than you. The Bible's full of them. The Apostle Paul, man, that dude was messed up. He was so messed up that when he came to Christ and he became a believer, he came to Jerusalem and like the apostles were afraid of him. They're like, I ain't hanging out with that guy. He was in the biker gang. No, he wasn't in the biker gang. He was, he was persecuting Christians. And they're like, we, no, we don't even believe that kind of transformation is possible. You don't have to have it all together to serve God. He knows what's broken in you, and yet he's pursuing you. And here's the thing. All of your life, he's going to continue to transform your life. What I love about God is he knows the things that he wants to change in me, and I just find that he's so elegant about how he makes those changes. It's like one thing at a time. He doesn't overwhelm me and he doesn't like pull me in the office and go, okay, this, 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 this. I got to tell you, I'm really mad at you today. I find that God just transforms one area after another area in my life. He's so gracious about it. Now I have to respond to what he convicts me of, respond in the areas where he's leading me to change. He's not looking to overwhelm you. He's looking to transform you. Maybe, maybe this doesn't just apply to your faith life. Maybe it applies to your family. Maybe you've gone through some things in your family where you feel like your failure has caused you to need to just pull back who you are in your family. And I just want to encourage you, your family needs you. Maybe in your professional life you've done something similar, just pulled yourself back. I want to tell you, you are made in the image of God and there is great stuff in you. And the devil will tell you all day long all the stuff that's jacked up in your life. He will show you every dark corner in your life. But you are made in the image of God and you have value to bring. You are not perfect. I'm confident of that. Neither am I. And yet for some reason, God uses these broken vessels and fills them with himself and his glory to do great things. And you realize that actually he gets more glory and honor out of using us. Because it's like, look, I use these jacked up people. God's like, look, it's like one, two arms behind my back. You don't have to be perfect to serve the Lord. 
I really felt today was a day where there are some folks today where you believe you love Jesus, but you don't feel that you are worthy to truly serve him. I want to tell you today, that's a lie. That's just not the truth. And if in your head you've got a yeah, but I, I just want you to take that white out and just, they don't even have white out anymore, do they? Hit the delete key. Golly day, I'm getting older. (laughs) My analogies don't even work anymore. You may be holding yourself in a way that God's not trying to hold you hostage. And he wants to bring you back into his service, bring you back into a place where you feel like when you wake up in the morning, God has something for me to do today. And I'm looking for the opportunity today to serve my God. Take you from the, I adore you, I love you, but I just don't think I should be in there. And I just want to encourage you, that's not the case. Because the thing is, is when we withhold ourselves from serving him, we begin to withhold other things from the Lord, one thing after another. And maybe today you're, you're that Peter, and God is just saying, hey, I have use of you. I have assignments for you. I have some things for you to do. And what's beautiful about it is those assignments are very relational. We get to journey with him as we do it. We get to check in with him. Is this what you want, Lord? And there, he builds our relationship and our depth with him along the way. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you go, you know, I believe in God but I've never really taken that step to fully give my life to him. Or maybe you're here today and you go, I've given my life to him, but I have, like you've said, Pastor Mike, I've just pulled myself back from him for one reason or another. And I just want to encourage you today. God wants you, but he's not going to make you. He loves you, but love doesn't force you. Love invites you. Romans says God's kindness leads us to repentance. And the more that you know him, the more you want to know him. Maybe you're in a place where you go, you know, I've made a commitment in, my, in, the, in, my, in the past, but I really have not stuck with it. I really haven't truly given myself over to his service. I want to encourage you to give yourself to him today. Give yourself fully to him. Maybe you're here today and you realize that the way I am working life without God is not working. And I want to tell you that, God, that Jesus is here for you and that he is, always has a way forward and that you're not alone. Me, everyone in this room, we come to a place in our life where we go, what I'm doing isn't working. And one of the greatest decisions that we make in our lives is we take the reins of rulership where I'm in charge of my own life. And we just go, God, there's only one who's really worthy to hold those reins, and it's you. And it's this great act of trust and faith when we take those reins out of our hands and we say, God, I'm going to give it to you. You're my king. You're my Lord. You're my ruler. I believe that you really do love me, and I really do believe that what you have for me is better than what I have for myself. I want to 
I'll tell you, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where, what's going on in life, like he will take you right now. You don't have to go figure out some stuff first. You don't have to figure it out first. All you have to do is cry out to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I want to be yours. Man, I really struggled with that decision in my life. My parents went back to church when I was 15 years old, and um, I was really offended. I was like, I really kind of like what we're doing. I like being in charge of my own life, and now you're going to take me back. And I had known enough growing up in church in early days to know, like, Jesus wanted my heart, my life, my everything. And I was like, I really don't, I like being in charge. I want to I own my own life. So I struggled. I told my parents, I said, I'm atheist. I don't believe this book. I don't believe this stuff. And man, my parents were like, you what? They were like, we thought we raised you better than that. I'm like, no, nah, I know what this means. The irony was, was because I did know I didn't want to go. And so I struggled. I struggled with, God, are you real? I struggled with, with these faith decisions. And God was so gracious with me. He was so patient and yet unrelenting. And there was this day where um, I, was, I went to go visit this girl in the youth group who had an ingrown toenail, me and this buddy from the youth group. See, I, I would get in trouble all the time. So we, I would get in trouble, so I would get grounded. I got grounded for an entire summer. You all don't need the details why. But so I, I would get in tr- trouble. I could only do things with the youth group. My parents were brilliant. I tell you what. And they were nice to me, and I tell them, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe this stuff, but if you believe it, you're crazy not to do it, go for it. You're like, God wants all your, if you believe this Bible, like, he wants all of you, go for it. But I was like, I ain't in. And they just cared about me and prayed for me and let me kind of figure out my stuff. And one day we go to visit this girl in the youth group who had uh, had a little surgery on an ingrown toenail, and me and this buddy from the, from the youth group, and we go up to the room, and the youth pastor just happens to be there, and some other Christians there, and so I'm just kind of like the odd man out in the hospital, I'm like, oh, whatever. Youth pastor looks at me, we've known each other for a long time, he says, Mike, you want to pray for Susan today? He knows I'm not even a Christian. I'm like, no, I'm good. So they pray for him, her, and on the way out, there's these uh, two teenage ladies sitting on a bench, and uh, they asked to bum a cigarette from me. Well, I had a half a carton in the car. I was about a month from graduating high school. I knew how this worked. I was going to get my swagger on. In that moment, not only was I not going to get my swagger on, which I have little. Where is that swagger? Anyhow, I looked at that moment, and I just, in that moment, when they they asked me for a cigarette, in that moment, I was like, This is not who I want to be anymore. God had showed up in a few ways where I could either deny it or accept it kind of thing. And I just, I said, I looked at those girls and I said, do you have a Bible? Kid you not. They just asked me to pray for a sick girl in a a hospital room and I wouldn't do it. Now I'm sharing Jesus with someone? I just didn't want to be that person that I was anymore. And I go into the car, my buddy from high school is looking at me like, what just happened? What happened is I'd made this decision. All of a sudden, I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done trying to fight God. I'm done trying to run from God. I'm done trying to deny God. And I'm just going to give myself to him. And I'm an all-in kind of person. I mean, when I wasn't serving Jesus, I was atheist. It was like, just turn the lights out, baby. 
my buddy was like, I don't even know what to do with you. So he's just sitting in the car trying not to mess something up. I drive my little Chevette. I stop at a McDonald's and I take my cigarettes and I throw them away. And my, my, my buddy's like, well, God's moving. Something's going on. And I go home and I look at him and I know enough Christianese. I said, I'm going to go up to my room and I'm just going to, I'm going to get saved. Do you want to come up and pray and agree? He's like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, sure. So we go up in my room and there's this light on in the room and it doesn't have a shade. Uh, and I close my eyes to pray. And you know how you get that light memory? I'm like, great. And I got this light memory. I don't need distractions. I don't pray too much. I don't pray at all. Like, you know, so, and then all of a sudden the light goes out. And my buddy was like, oh my word. He looks up out in the neighborhood through my bedroom window and he looks downstairs and he goes, all the other lights are on. It's God. And I just said, Lord, you know my sin. I know it's a lot. Will you forgive me? And would you give me a new life like you've promised? It was the day, May 5th, 1992. I went over to the youth pastor's house and I said, I just got saved. Pray for me. He prayed for me. And that was like the beginning. You know that the end of that month, May 30th, I um, got baptized in water. I found out years later, there was this young lady named Elizabeth Kinlaw. Her name would change later to Elizabeth Hennigan. Um, She also got baptized that day. And you can't make that stuff up. I want to tell you that God has a, if if you haven't given him your life, and again, it's very different than believing that he exists. It's saying, I want you to be my God and my ruler. It's a great move of trust. And I want to tell you, he's going to take all of you, not part of you. But he's the most loving master and caring master you'll ever have in your life. And if you haven't taken that step, I just encourage you, like, go all in. Serving God easy, kind of like halfway, is hard. But serving God hard, serving God with everything you have, way easier. Would you stand with me today? I'd like to ask you, as I pray with you today, I want to ask you for a moment to close your eyes. Because I'm going to ask some folks to just put your hand up and I really don't want people um, looking around. I just want to ask you right now, just go ahead and close your eyes. First, you know, if you're here today, and you know, Peter's story really means something to you. You have, you've pulled yourself back because of your own failure. And today, it's like you're sitting there with Jesus, and Jesus is saying to you, do you love me? You're saying, yes, Jesus, I love you. And he's saying, come back and be fully present. With every eye closed, if that's you today, would you just slip your hand up in the air? I want to pray for you today. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for one other thing. You can put your hand down, hands down. If you're here today and you go, you know, I need to turn my life over to the Lord. I need to go from believing that he exists to trusting him with my life. 
If that's you today, would you just slip your hand up today? I'm going to pray with you as well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm going to pray this prayer. It's similar to the prayer that I prayed when I first came to Jesus. If you're willing today, if you've prayed it a hundred times, or but if it's in your heart to pray today, just pray it with me. I'll just uh, share a sentence and you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, we come to you today. This is a special day. You defeated sin in the grave. I come to you today declaring you as my God. Would you forgive all my sin? Would you be my king? Would you be my savior? Would you help me to follow you? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you today and we thank you for the amazingness of the cross, the amazingness of what you've done. And Lord, I pray that the words spoken here today, the the words sung here today, God would just kind of go deeply into our hearts and our minds and they would produce a lot of fruit. We give you this day, we give you honor and praise. We celebrate you. We've set this time aside, Lord, to give you our worship and to declare our love for you. Lord, bless your people as they go. Bless their day. Watch over them. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that goes with us and We thank you for your leadership in our lives. And Lord, we just declare you today, Jesus, as our hero. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.